of the Raptors Reasonableist Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Blake Murphy. Joining me live from the disabled list, my usual partner in crime, Eric Kareen. Eric, are you all right, buddy? I don't know. I'm day-to-day, but I'm not sure if I'm day-to-day in, like, the the normal sense or the Patrick Patterson sense. Well, we're all so. day-to-day in the normal sense, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm... Uh, Trips to the ER really put things in perspective about how much pain you're feeling. So I'm going to say I'm okay today. You're okay today. Uh, the Toronto Raptors are not okay today. Maybe they are okay today. They were not okay on Sunday, though. We're going to get right into it. I'm not even going to preamble here. We're, we're going to gloss over your injury. Uh, we're Obviously, everyone listening hopes you're okay. Um, I'm, not and, sure about, I'm not sure about everyone, but sure. Yeah. And, and I mean... It, Look, if you need to, if you need to be confident about anything, it's that you did not get Damari Carroll, Norman Powell, while you were out on Sunday. It was closer to the Patrick Patterson situation where, you know, I stepped in, but that that position is going to be fluid. We need to we need to try to find a different answer for the Athletic Toronto Raptors coverage while you're on the shelf. You're being very modest. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm trying to get these jokes in is what I'm is what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, Sunday though, the Toronto Raptors coughed up a 16 point fourth quarter lead to the Detroit Pistons, who completed the biggest comeback in franchise history. Uh, the Pistons won 102-101. The fourth quarter was among the worst fourth quarters, or the worst any quarters that the Raptors have played all season, coming on the heels of uh, a third quarter that was one of their best in recent memory. This is uh, probably a low point when you blow a 16-point lead and you have now dropped 10 of your last 14. Uh, we're going to talk about how the team felt about the game afterwards. But Eric, you look at the course of this season... And you look at how they've played since that Golden State loss uh, back on December 28th, since which they've gone 10 and 15. You look at this 4 and 10 stretch they're on now. Uh, you look at the fact that they were maybe turning a corner with the Brooklyn and LA wins and have now coughed up two very winnable games in a row. Uh, is this rock bottom? It's funny. Like two weeks ago, there was somebody arguing or sort of pointing out on Twitter. I forgot which game it was, but he, he was like one of those people who was hoping that the Raptors would lose because they needed a loss to really drive home how urgent the state of affairs was. And and my first thought was, like, it's not urgent enough already. Like, they've already lost all these games to all these sort of middling to subpar teams. Like, you don't think that's caught their attention? And, you know, we're going to end up talking about Kyle Lowry's comments and – now we know, obviously, it's caught their attention. I'm skeptical that it hadn't previously. But if this isn't rock bottom, boy, are we... We're going to see some depths this year. Well, guess what the thing is about the, the rock bottom question? Is that there's rock bottom, and then there's also every single time the Raptors play the Chicago Bulls. So, you know, <laughs> if, if rock bottom is Sunday, Tuesday on Valentine's Day, of course... Uh, Raptor fans very likely to find themselves at some subterranean level beneath rock bottom. Yeah, it, it doesn't even matter who plays. I saw, like, Butler, Wade, uh, who else was out for the uh, Bulls? Butler, uh, Wade, Miritich, and Zipser are all questionable for Tuesday. Yeah, the, uh, none of them will play, and the Bulls will win by two. Yeah, I asked, uh, I was talking to Sean Hyken, our, our colleague from the Athletic Chicago, uh, and I asked, I was like, well, look, all these guys are out. But this just opens it up for the next Etwan Moore or Doug McDermott 
to come out and be the quote-unquote random bull that kills the Raptors. And my, my guess is if all these guys sits, it's February 14th. It's obviously going to be Denzel Valentine. Yes. Yes. That I will... It will be the spiritual successor to Valentine's Day, the, the game where Jeremy Lin, during Lin's sanity, hit that winning three-pointer on Valentine's Day in Toronto. You're not uh, going to believe this, but I, I took a girl to that game uh, that I was dating. Uh, we took a little bit of a break not long after that. Yeah, that was a bad omen. Yeah, not 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 the best. <laughs> Jeremy Lin, hey, Jeremy Lin stole not... the victory from the Raptors, stole my girl. Let's not let's not uh, you know crap all over the one moment of joy Knicks fans have had in the last decade or whatever. Yeah, to talk about rock, to talk about rock bottom, it could be worse, guys. It could be worse. You could be the Knicks. Uh, you could you could be an organization that does not value the amazingness that is Charles Oakley. Come on. Yeah. How do you not love Oak? It's, uh, it takes a special kind of person to not love Oak, or you owe him money. Those are the two ways. <laughs> uh, the difference between the Raptors situation and the Knicks situation, though, is that uh, most logical-thinking Knicks fans, their expectations were, yeah, of course, look, Derrick Rose made the super team comment. There were some Knicks fans who thought they were going to be very, very good this year. I think for the most part, at least the reasonable Knicks fans that uh, we are friends with, the Robert Silvermans, the Jared Dubins of the world, um, expectations were not that high. Maybe the Knicks sneak into a playoff spot. And when expectations are lower, these kind of rock-bottom times, they still hurt. And, and with how long the Knicks have been there, um, it's got to be exhausting and, and just, like, soul-crushing. For the Raptors, though, they're almost a victim of high expectations because they went to the conference finals last year. The expectation was that they would reach the conference finals again probably this year. And then they started out the season really, really strong. They were 18-7 and seven at one point. They were 22-8 and eight at one point. Um, so this is... You know, it's not only that the Raptors are playing poorly and that they, for the last six weeks, own, like, the number 23 offense and the number 17 defense or whatever the rankings are. It's that they were so good before, and I think that, you know, the dichotomy of the two halves of a season that they've put together so far, um, it leads to a lot of extra frustration, and the Raptors are most definitely feeling that. Uh, I don't have an audio clip handy, but after the game on Sunday, Kyle Lowry was asked, what went wrong? Kyle Lowry said, huh. Everything. Everything. Keep putting in the same situations over and over and not being successful. Something got to give. Something got to change. Eric, what is the something that got to change? Well, I mean, I don't want to speculate what's going on in uh, Kyle Lowry's mind, uh, mind, rather. Or maybe he has multiple minds. Who knows? You're, you're uh, saying we're not in like a being John Malkovich situation here? We're live on the podcast. You're coming to us from the brain of Kyle Lowry? Uh, I'd be a lot better at this job if I had said powers. Be a much better, <laughs> much better point guard too. Yeah, well, I make good decisions. Yeah, uh, but you, you know what? The best decision you've made all season is skipping out on the game where we're going to go head to head. Uh, yeah. yeah. Boo! What a bad, anyway. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. What What is the something uh, that has to give or something that has to change? Maybe not I, the something Lowry's referring to, but in your mind. Yeah. Uh, as I as I said to you before we started, I did not see any of Sunday's game save for the highlights because I was, you know, otherwise, um, otherwise occupied with medical matters related to my back. But it's pretty clear that they're, you know, he's talking about the offense to me at least, 
Uh, it's not like a rotation thing. Cause I think everybody understands how Patrick Patterson's injury makes, you know, filling those 30 minutes a game difficult given the Raptors composition. Um, and by, by just, the way, you did, you didn't watch the game. The Raptors solution on Sunday to the power forward problem was to not play a single power forward the entire game. Yeah. Well, how many are on the roster? Well, Siakam and Sullinger right now. Yeah. Well, and Bruno. So, so, <laughs> Sullinger is quite is questionably a power forward, uh, even though that's where he was going to start. Uh, well, Siakam is questionably a power yeah. forward right now too. Oh. Sorry. Um. And even after Wednesday's game, uh, the loss of the Timberwolves, Kyle Lowry made some comments about maybe getting Jonas more involved and. Well, you know, Jonas wasn't on the floor in the fourth quarter, and we don't have to revisit that. But, you know, we've gotten to a place where the crunch time offense is pretty predictable. And uh, not that it wasn't early in the year, but, you know, it's fine to say this is a team that goes as far as Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRose take them. And I think that will always be true to an extent. But... I th- my guess would be when he says that, he's saying, well, what's plan B? You know, like, let's, you know, if we're not getting the shots we want, how are we going to pivot slightly? And yeah, like ha- the, the final possession of Sunday's game, DeMar DeRozan facing up against Marcus Morris, uh, there was like a, a distraction pin down run for Kyle Lowry off the ball, but everyone was standing around DeRozan watching. Um, you mentioned the offense not being great in the clutch. Over the last 15 games, the Raptors have played 10 games that are classified as clutch by NBA.com, which means within five points in the final five minutes. They're 1-9, and nine, and we talked not that long ago, Eric, about how their net rating suggested uh, they were better than the record in close games. Minus 27.6 net rating in so, those 10 cl- last 10 clutch games. That's problematic. That's bad. Yeah. Um, and I know... This will be construed as Kyle Lowry saying Dwayne Casey has to change some things. And, you know, I think there's probably some merit to that. But, you know, I would be, before going overboard with, well, the player hates the coach and the coach hates the player, let's give this a bit of time to breathe. Um, I, I think... Getting back to his comments, uh, the part you didn't mention, and I think my only real problem with his comments, uh, and I know, like, for a lot of Raptors fans, him saying something has to change, I'm worried, is this, like, cathartic thing, right? Like, you're, you're, he's finally, somebody is saying, we're in trouble. And to a lot of fans who have been screaming that, that is nice to hear. But when he goes on and says, well, I'm not going to say what it is. I'm going to keep it professional. Like, you're already not kind of keeping it professional when you're saying, I'm going to keep it professional. Right. He chose his words very deliberately throughout that speech. And, and you know, he he was very sure not to say anything that he wouldn't be able to walk back. And Monday at practice, he walked it back a little bit and said, to your point, you know, it wasn't about Casey. It wasn't about anything in particular. But, you know, when you when you have the presence of mind to say you're not going to say something... You know what you're saying, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, and so I think I think that part's a bit troubling. Uh, just for, And perception doesn't matter. They start to win, and nobody will care about this crap. But 
right now, all we have are the losses and the perception. And I think if I were to pick apart his comments, it was talking about how professional he was being. That sort of runs me the wrong way because, you know, uh, if you want to talk about, and I'm always wary of talking about distractions, blah, blah, blah. But there are ways to, there are ways to talk about how concerned he was and uh, him sort of identifying some problems without him being the way he was. You know what I mean? I mean, you were there, and I think you'd back me up on this, maybe? Yeah, I would back you up on that. I, I actually have, I have more concerns about other things he said as well. Um, yeah. I, I thought, you know, I yeah. thought, obviously the I'm going to keep my mouth shut, keep it professional thing was, was one part of it. Uh, what stood out to me more than anything, and DeMar DeRozan mentioned something like it, um, a, a little a little bit, but not that biting. It was just kind of DeMar answering questions. But Kyle Lowry, if you remember back to the Jonas Valanciunas comments after the Timberwolves game, he not only said they need to get Jonas more involved, he said, he said that's on me. I'm going with the play calls, and I'm paraphrasing here. I'm going with the play calls, and I need to, you know, he was basically saying he's doing what he's told, and he needs to make the audible to adjust more. So then when he said something like, um, they asked, he was asked why the Raptors couldn't stop the bleeding, uh, and he said, they, talking of the Pistons, they made great adjustments. They made very good adjustments. They did a good job of adjusting. He said adjustments three times, and that was the part to me that seemed like more of a, a jab at Casey than um, even the I'm not going to say anything, if, if it was a jab at Casey. Look, Casey and Lowry said Monday at practice that it wasn't that. Casey didn't take it as a jab at him. Casey likened them to, weirdly, to a husband and wife who battle a little bit but know they're in the trenches together. Uh, probably not the best uh, analogy to use there. But, um, yeah, I mean, that was kind of more to me between the, the Valanciunas comment and then the using the word adjustments three times in one answer. I don't know. That stood out more to me. Yeah, and it takes you back to, like, the beginning of his tenure here, right? Like, he came here with, coach, with questions about how he deals with coaches. And then he makes some subtle comments that he can walk back, but that you'd have to be ignoring a lot of context to say it wasn't at least in part about the coaches. And there was also the time in 2015, I think after the Wizards series, he was asked, uh, basically asked for a vote of confidence for Casey. And he said, he basically ignored the coaching aspect and just said uh, that he, I'm paraphrasing again here, that um, Casey's a good man and he respects Casey as a man, but said very little about the coaching. Um, that's, uh, sorry, I don't know the Reddit user, but I was on Raptors Reddit earlier and someone had pointed that out, dug up the old quote. Um, so yeah, there's a there's a history there. And Tom Sterner, former Raptors assistant, was on TSN Radio um, Monday and said basically this is Lowry trying to push the blame onto Casey. Do you think do you think that's a play? Like is is he trying to shift blame? Was he just frustrated? Is he trying to send a message that that Casey needs to be more flexible? What do you think the we we know that he was you know choosing his words carefully, but what do you what do you think he hoped to get out of this? Um. Maybe more of an open dialogue? I don't know. Like, that's the only thing I can think of. Like, maybe, maybe he's, this is all speculation. Like, let's, let's be clear. But maybe he's been frustrated about the way things have been going, and he doesn't feel like he's being heard enough. And if he turns it into a public thing a little bit, then there will be some freedom to 
actually start to change things. Or maybe he's setting the stage for his exit to become a Philadelphia 76er next year. Who knows? Well, that's, I mean, all through these struggles, we've tried to reasonableize them as best we can. And look, it, it seems possible they still turn it around and they're closer to the team they were at the start of the year than they are now. The longer this goes on, obviously, the harder it is to assume they're going to get back to that level. Uh, but the bigger thing, I mean, look, they, they weren't going to get past Cleveland anyway, even playing well and probably even with an addition. But the you mentioned Lowry possibly leaving, and if he's butting heads with Casey or... You know, I, this is taking it 10 steps further than it's gone already. You know, if it comes down to a decision of, of player versus coach, um, or even if the Raptors are knocked out in the first round of the playoffs again, you know, I think it, I think the less success this team has, the more likely it is Lowry will at least earnestly explore other options. Well, you'd have to think so. Like, to remember how we were talking about DeMar DeRozan at the, you know, through game four of the Indiana series? Like... Uh, I think that goes almost without saying he'd uh, it would be strange for him not to like the the less success there is around. Uh, and this is somebody at the beginning of the year said it's all about winning. That's all he wants to do. If he doesn't think the conditions here are ripe for that to continue or get back to where they were, depending on how this season ends, uh, you would have to think that he would be. Um, a little more curious about the market and about other options. But again, this is, you know, we're, we're far away from having this conversation seriously. I mean, but, there are only 27 uh, games left in the season. They're going to make the playoffs regardless, but it does kind of put a lot of pressure on this last third of the season. Yeah. And as you say, like they've basically been, a, they've been, a not good team as long as they were a very good team now and all the people who had fear about this season becoming the 2014-15 season like looked smarter and smarter by the game and boy is this episode not going to earn the title raptors reasonable <laughs> that's all but i can think look, of right being now. being reasonable about it though doesn't mean telling everyone that it's all right if things aren't all right. If there are legitimate things to be concerned about, it's reasonable to be concerned about them. We're not, yeah. you know, we it's, it's not the Raptors pat everyone on the butt and tell them they're special and it's going to be okay. We don't want to be the dog uh, in the house on fire saying it's fine. Yeah. I mean, we did that early on in this podcast and in our columns because, you know, the evidence at that point allowed you more to look at the entirety of the season. But you know, when it was 30 good games and five bad games, it's different than when it's 30 and 15 and now 30 and 25. Um, it's, I think, reasonable for us to grow more concerned as the body of work to be concerned about increases. It doesn't mean, you know, yeah. it, some people are going to say it means we were wrong earlier for, uh, you know, tr for looking at the positives and thinking it would come back. And sure, maybe, maybe we were. But like at the time, the evidence pointed in that direction. So, yeah. And I'm still not ready to say this team can't get back there. Uh, a lot's going to um, depend on Patterson's health. You know, I'm obviously a big defender of his use, which says a lot about, frankly, how this team has been built, that they're so dependent on him. But they need him, and he's a very useful player. And Maybe we'll see something at the trade deadline that uh, we wrote about uh, last week that we sort of don't expect, and I don't want to overreact to one loss and say a trade is now more likely than it was before because 
I don't think that's how Masai Ujiri works at all. It may uh, even make it less likely if they suddenly don't think there's any point in adding a piece just to be knocked out early. Well, it depends what their priorities are. If your yeah. priorities are we have to keep Kyle happy and we have to, you know, make maximize our chances to win right now, even if we think it's... Anyway, we don't know what Masai Ujiri's thinking. Um, but I do... I do know that he's not going to let one or even a series of bad losses really dictate that. I think he's he's pretty generally a guy forward focused uh, with an eye on the present. And I don't think what's happened over the last uh, month and a half is going to change that that much. Okay, let me ask you one more question about Lowry's comments. Yeah. Is it? Not not concerning because Lowry and DeRozan seem fine, but is it to any degree interesting to you that if Lowry's comments were about Casey and the play calling late in the game and um, you know how the Raptors operate down the stretch of games, is it interesting to you or is it something to you? Because I don't know how to describe it, but it's something to me that Lowry's issue then is not... It, it is with Casey and the play calling and the way the team operates, but it is also to a degree with his own chemistry with DeMar DeRozan. Uh, because, you know, look, DeRozan is getting the bulk of the touches down the stretch. On the season, DeRozan's usage percentage is 34.3%. It's 24.8 for Lowry. Uh, we know this is how they operate, and DeRozan's been more efficient this year. Not more efficient than Lowry, but more efficient than previous versions of DeRozan. Um, and there are reasons for this. And then in the clutch, you look... And, you know, uh, DeRozan's usage is, is even higher in these clutch situations. So if Lowry has an issue with uh, the way the team is structured, it's almost an issue with his own on-court fit with DeRozan. A- am, I, am I making something out of nothing here, or is that a, an interesting wrinkle to this, that the two best friends that anyone's had um, maybe have lost the, that kind of trade back and forth thing that they've done for so long uh, when games are on the line? I think, like, Maybe that last part of what you said is is sort of valid. Like the, I don't think he would be thinking, "Oh my God, I ca- I don't fit with Demar at this point." No, no, I not th- not that. But yeah. I mean, like in terms of, you know, if this is something that persists and the Raptors' late game offense is like that, that gets that hits a point where it's awkward. No, when Demar DeRozan is his best friend and they're co stars yeah. of the team, and DeRozan's forty percent usage in the clutch. Yeah, I think, I think right now it's possible he's at a place where it's like, while well, we're not optimizing what he does best and what I do, do best and what Jonas Valanciunas, when he's on the floor, does best and what he can provide. Um, and does that carry over to their relationship? I mean, I think... I don't think so. I think... They're they're pretty tight and they they're working toward the same goals. Depend, I mean, never mind free agency. I think they're both genuinely guys who really want to win and really want to win as Raptors. Um, and it's just I haven't really seen any signs of them butting heads. Uh, and, and I see where your logic is coming from. To, to be clear, I agree with you, but I felt like it was a question that needed asking. Yeah, and. And, I mean, we're never going to get a, a full... Like, if the answer is yes, it is making things awkward, nobody's ever going to say that. But, uh, I mean, unless 
you know, he Kyle Lowry pulls a KD and uh, and we get all sorts of truths through Instagram posts. Um, but, Lowry, doesn't, <laughs> Lowry doesn't seem the Instagram type. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I don't think we're there yet. Uh, I think Kyle Lowry, the one thing, first of all, let's go back to Tom Sterner's comments. Like, what was his political play there? Oh, I don't know. He's out of a job and wanted to talk. Yeah. Like I, it, I, look, I, I don't I don't know Tom Sterner, so I don't I don't know what his motivation was. It sounded a little bit to me like him and Lowry maybe didn't have the best relationship. It's uh, just like and it was projecting, but Yeah. Uh and Kyle is a thorny dude. So that is possible. I just don't it's hard for me to understand why you if you are looking for a job. And not to criticize Tom Sterner, because he was perfectly nice to me and obviously entertaining on the TV interviews. But why would you go and say something that's probably going to piss off both that player and that coach? Um, <laughs> anyway, I'm sure they, uh, Kyle Lowry and Dwayne Casey have more important things to worry about. I'm just, if you're looking for a job, I'm not sure that would have been my first move. Uh, now I've forgotten the question. <laughs> uh, there wasn't one really so let's let's pivot a little bit and we'll look ahead because we're gonna wrap this up in a in short order here and we only have two more games before the all-star break and that look the raptors needed that three-day mental break that they got between minnesota and detroit games obviously they squandered it with the detroit loss they're right back in the mental place where you know had they had they continued that 16 point lead uh that could have been a real turning point three days off to kind of reset their brains and then a big win coming out of it, uh, maybe that would have had them in a good place. Instead, even if they pulled off the unlikely back-to-back uh, -back in Chicago and then back home to play Charlotte, uh, two decent teams, one who has their number and the other who matches up well with them, um, even if they were to win both of these, you know, it's probably still stumbling into the uh, into the break a little bit. Then they'll have eight days off, um, and the trade deadline comes on that eighth day off. Eric, what what can this team do over the next two games, over Tuesday at, in Chicago, Wednesday at home against Charlotte, um, to at least try to put themselves in a better place? They need to sweep this 2-0. Does it not even matter? Can they drop both of them or split them and it doesn't matter because there's not enough time to dig themselves out of this before the break? I think it's like anything. It's two games, right? Like, they're in a bad place, and I think two games winning both would give them... I think maybe you're minimizing how much that would mean. I think it would mean a lot to them, given the way they've been going. But I'm not sure it would say anything about how they're going to come out of come out of the All Star break. Like so, uh, you know, in terms of mentality, every win right now is a gift, um, and they can badly use it. Uh, and I think it would be extremely meaningful, but. Uh, I don't think that we'll be able to read much into it regardless, because as you mentioned, there's like this evidence that is mounting that is now virtually 20, like 25 games old. And you cannot, you know, if you beat an undermanned Chicago team and a stumbling Charlotte team, what does that really say about you other than you stopped losing to teams that you shouldn't be losing to if you're worth a damn. And that would be good, but I, I'm not ready to draw conclusions about them being able to do that, I guess is what I'm saying, for two games at least. That's fair. Uh, what it also means is that next week when we come to you in this space, we probably won't be talking a lot about actual basketball games. We talk about the trade deadline, which comes Thursday, February 23rd, 
uh, not only is the trade deadline Thursday, February 23rd, we'll be talking about the trade deadline Wednesday, February 22nd, live at Bar Homestand from 6 to 8. We're going to do a live recording of this podcast, and we're going to answer a ton of trade deadline questions. Uh, the event is free for any subscribers. I don't believe they're going to be checking if you're a subscriber, so just sign up anyway. Uh, I'll tweet the link out along with this podcast. All you have to do is RSVP, uh, Bar Homestand, Eric and I will be doing a live version of this, and given the amount of time they've given us, we'll probably answer a lot of trade questions one day before the trade deadline. Uh, so don't look for this podcast uh, Tuesday next week. Look for it Wednesday night live, or I'll post it again Thursday morning, the morning of the trade deadline to tee things up. Naturally, if the Raptors make a move, it'll happen Wednesday after we leave the event before the podcast goes up, so the podcast is entirely useless. Uh, Eric, any other good reasons for people to come out and hang with us at our homestand on Wednesday, February 22nd from 6 to 8? We're both very handsome. That's only that's only true for you. Come on. Yeah. Have um, you seen Have you seen the photo that they that they used of us on the event? You look handsome. I look like I just escaped from prison and have a. <laughs> I mean, I didn't have a black eye at the time, but I have this thing under my right eye where it sometimes looks like I have a black eye. It looked like I had just been like punched in the face and like crawled through a gutter. It's a good picture look, of me. It'll be fun. We'll be talking rafters, uh, trying to talk people off ledges, if that is what is the reasonable thing to do at that time. And you can have a few drinks and, um, you know, it's winter and it's hard to get out. So make yourself get out. You don't want to be stuck in your home. No, especially if you have loved ones there. Get away from them. Yeah, they're ugh. free yourself. Uh, okay, Eric and I will talk to you then. Eric, thanks so much for coming on and feel better, buddy. Thanks, dude. If only to be a reasonable man.